Good morning, folks. It's good to, good to be here together. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer uh, as we begin our sermon time. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you choose vessels like us to communicate that word to the world around us. Father, as I exercise my voice this morning, I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that speaks, that would guide my thoughts and guide my rabbit trails and guide my emphasis of the points that are in the text. And Father, we pray that uh, you would truly uh, be worshipped this morning in the preaching, but also in the reception of your word. To hear your word and not respond is the epitome of emptiness. To hear the words of life and to disregard them. To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to not be encouraged or be challenged to faith is is vain. So, Father, we pray that your work would be done this morning in the preaching and the hearing. Lord, as we conclude our time today in the Lord's Supper, may it also be a time of remembrance, a time that is, again, a, a, an encouragement and a challenge, depending on who is observing it. Father, may you be glorified in all that goes on from this point forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, you know I love to ask questions. I, I believe that um, asking questions is the way. There's an old preaching uh, method. Uh, it, it goes hook, book, look, took. Uh, and, and it works for any presentation. Trust me, this is not new to me. This is something that I have learned many, many years ago. And I don't always follow it, but it's pretty simple. You, you hook. You got to hook somebody. You got to get their attention. Do I have your attention this morning? I like that, whoever that was. All right. Uh, okay, all right, don't get carried away, no. Hook, we got to hook you in, right? Why would you listen to someone that you're not really interested in listening to? So a hook book, uh, you go from the hooking them into uh, some aspect of the lesson that we're going to be following, and then you go to the book, and you go to, you go today, the book will be First John, and then we're going to look at that book, and then we're going to took something away from it, right? We're going to take something away with us as we leave. But hook, book, look, took. And so I love questions. It's one of the easiest ways my mind works to connect people to the text. And so here's the question. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to, before I show this question, we're going to do congregation participation this morning. All right? Because I've placed this question in the first person singular. Because I'm not asking if, if you think I'm a Christian. I don't think you would have voted me in as your pastor if, uh, if you didn't think I was a Christian. And I'm not asking, I'm not saying I don't believe that you're a Christian. What I'm asking you to consider is this is a healthy question for us to ask, I think especially as we go into the text this morning. So on the count of three, with gusto and with the proper inflection, it is a question, all right, let's ask ourselves this question. When I say three, read it. One, two, three. Three, am I a Christian? That's a penetrating question. There may be someone here this morning that's saying, I don't know. I read the question because I was told to ask the question. But I really don't know if I'm a Christian or not. Well, for, for your sake and for the sake of um, your eternal, 
your eternity with God or, or lack thereof, pay attention because we're going to talk a lot about the gospel this morning. Because if we ask ourselves this, am I a Christian? Uh, it's, this is what we're walking through. We, we, I showed this to you last week. I showed it to you months ago. But we're going to walk through it again, but with a little bit more emphasis. All right, so just walk with me through. Uh, first of all, there's a question. Do I believe? Whenever you see the question, the first person singular, will you please in your mind, you don't have to do it audibly. If you do, I won't argue with you. But, um, but ask yourself, do I believe? Do I believe what? Do I believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Do I believe that he created man? Do I believe that man fell into sin? We're going to focus on the idea of sin today because it's in the text of 1 John 1. And it's an appropriate time for us to discuss this idea of sin as we head towards a celebration of the Lord's Supper, which proclaims the death, burial, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. So we're going to, we're going to, I, I, you ask yourself, do I believe in sin? Oh, I believe in the sin principle, Pastor. I, I believe that there's sin in the world. That's not what I said. Do I believe that God created man and who fell into sin. The sin across for all of us, of all mankind, right? And, and you personally, do I believe I'm a sinner? Because if we believe that God created man who fell into sin, who violated God's standard, then we'd have to understand that death is a real thing. But since I inserted some scripture before this, we'll cover the scripture, all right? We're going to focus here on sin. We're going to go to, to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to look at the first sin. And when we get to ch- uh, verse 15 of this passage, it is what's called the first gospel. The proto-first, the proto-evangelium. The first gospel, the first good news. And so we're going to, we're going to uh, look at this, and I'm asking you to, yes, it may be familiar, but notice the focus that God brings to this discussion of sin. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? I want you to take special note that Satan is questioning. uh, He's asking her questions, drawing her in, and it's dealing with what God did or did not do. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? First of all, he knows that's not true. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What what, what did he just do, by the way? What did he just call God? A liar. All right? That's important for us later. All right? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you, uh, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true from the point here? Does God know that in the day that they eat, that their eyes will be opened? Does God know that? Come on, folks. Yes, right? God knows that. Congregation, participation, all right? God knows that. Uh, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, and, the, and this is a clarifying statement, knowing good and evil. It's not saying we'll be like God in the sense of his deity and his perfection. He's just saying that we're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Does God know that? Is that true? Well, I mean, yeah. So isn't it amazing that the serpent can deceive Eve, because we know that's what he's doing, and he mixes a lie with the truth? I've told you this before. I firmly believe this. If you have 99.9% truth and 0.1% lie, what do you have? You have a lie. Because it's, it's not fully true. And we're going to deal with that as we go through. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she fell into sin. She took of it of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with, uh, with her, and he ate. The idea there is that Adam is right there, complicit in the whole thing. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, as the serpent said they would, and they knew that they were naked, which is the truth. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I am, uh, excuse me, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And we see a little uh, deflection there going on, a little, uh, you know, hey, it's, it's, the, it's the woman you gave me, God, right? And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, which is true, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first gospel that God, it says here, that uh, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head. All right, this is talking about Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary, resurrecting on the third day, he shall bruise your head. It's a death blow to be a bruise to the head. But the serpent, the seed of the serpent, you shall bruise his heel. It's not a wound unto death. Although Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. This is the first gospel that, uh, that we know that, that God has a plan for sinners. Man was, was put into death, right? Was, was, was brought into death by sin. So God, man, sin, death. Death has come upon all the descendants of Adam, of which all of us in this room uh, are. We are all descendants of Adam. And, and the reality is death came as a result of sin. And so we see there in Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Do you believe God, man, sin, death? Because if you believe that, the ground is ripe for salvation. The ground is ripe for growth. Because God said, if you believe that far, then you can come to understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, fully God, fully man, was, came into the world. God became man. And notice, he was a sinless man because he was the only one that could die on the cross 
for the sins of all mankind. We're going to look at that in, in a few minutes. And all those who come to faith. Are you a Christian today? Well, yes, I am. Well, is, do you have faith in all of this? Well, yes, I do. And if it's genuine and God, God says you're a believer, right? God says, yes, I, I acknowledge your faith as genuine, then you have life. Remember last week, we looked at uh, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and it talked about the word of life. And I capitalized both word and life because I think we're talking about the word of God in John 1, the gospel of John 1. In the beginning was God. Excuse me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus Christ is God. Here we have this idea that, that, that life, the Word of life, Jesus is also life. And life is bestowed upon all those who come to faith. So as we look at 1 John 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, uh, we're going to see uh, a little bit more focus on this idea of sin and our relationship with, with God, all right? So let's just go ahead and read through this text. Uh, I know we're reading a lot of Scripture today, but... Reading Scripture is good, all right? 1 John 1, 5 through 2, verse 2 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. So let me just ask this question, or go back to this question. How did you answer it? How did you answer the question, am I a Christian? Because really your response to this question is the hinge for this whole sermon. Because if you answered this as, as uh, I don't think so or no, or I'm not sure, as I said before, pay attention. You're going to learn much. But let's say you answered yes. Yes, I am a Christian. Then this is the thought that we need to be challenged with today, both sitting in our seats as well as when we walk out the door today. A Christian, singular, I'm asking you to read this from your own perspective, right? A Christian is called to a life of holiness. Confession and repentance. Think about that for a couple minutes. I'm going to leave it up there. This is what we need to be thinking about as we go through the text. What does the Word of God mean for me today? What am I supposed to walk out of here today after reading 1 John uh, 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2? What am I supposed to be wrestling with? What am I supposed to understand? How is my life supposed to be challenged? How is my life supposed to be changed? Are you a Christian whose life is characterized by holiness, confession, and repentance? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I might do that once in a while. Uh, we don't believe in that confession thing, do we? We're Baptists. No, we believe in the confession thing, right? Uh, and and what's, I'll bring it up here because I might forget to, forget to say it later on. In the text of Scripture, when we talk about uh, confession of sins, 
Uh, and that's just a little tidbit that I learned as I was studying. The, the majority of times, I'll say the majority because I'm not sure I, if I can say all, but the majority of times that confession is talked about in Scripture, it's confessing our sins one to another, right? It's not a go off into a private closet of prayer and confess your sins. By the way, you can do that. That's not wrong. But there is this element of corporate confession, this opportunity for us to stand before one another and say, I am a sinner. And so I'm standing before you this morning saying, listen, folks, I am a sinner. And this is going to come out as we go through this text. How can that be real? How can a guy that preaches God's word every week in and out and on Wednesdays and streaming and different things, how can you be a sinner? Because I believe there's only two kinds of people in the world, sinners and sinners saved by grace. And I'm saved by grace, folks, because of what Jesus Christ has done. So sin is a real thing. And so therefore, we have to wrestle with this idea of how can I as a sinner be called to live a life of holiness? And then as a result of living that life of holiness, I'm supposed to live a life of confession, confessing the habitual sins that happen in my life. Right? And then, and then really in that confession, the idea, yeah, I'm a sinner. But it doesn't just stop there. It's the idea that as I confess my sin, I'm, I'm a penitent person. I'm, I grieve that I've sinned. I've, I recognize that my sin is against God and God alone. Although it, it may be against someone else, maybe my spouse, my kids, my neighbor, whatever it might be. Ultimately, all sin is against God. That there should be this repentance that takes place where we turn from our sin and turn to God. This is what we're called to do, and I think this is what this text leads us to understand. So as a Christian, first of all, we're going to discuss this. I am called to a life of holiness. Go ahead and say that with me. I am called to a life of holiness. Yes, you are. And if I was looking in the mirror, I'd say, yes, you are. I am. I am called to a life of holiness. Uh, so let's, let's, let's look uh, what this means. I am called to a life of holiness. Why? Why am I called to a life of holiness? It's really simple, because God is holy. You ever heard that before? Be ye holy as I am holy. Think about 1 Peter 1, 13, 13 through 16. Now, Peter is rehearsing an Old Testament scripture. This is an Old Testament teaching. But he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful verse, and I, I went long in the first service. I'm going to try not to, but this idea of girding the loins is picture the, picture the, the night of the exodus from Egypt. The, the, the people have eaten of the sacrificial lamb. They have placed the blood on the, on the doorposts, and, and, and they're told, gird up your loins. Be ready to move, because when the word comes, you're leaving. And there's a lot more involved in that story, obviously, but that's the idea. But he's not saying gird up your clothes. He's saying gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, listen, folks, be ready. Be sober. I think it's a clarifying thought there. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be serious. Because, and rest your hope in something. Rest your hope fully in something. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This amazing grace that we talk about so often and that is, so given, is given to us so freely by God. This grace 
that is brought to you and to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hope that if for somebody either in this room or watching us online or will watch this stream, or, you know, the recording later, hopefully this idea that it's a revealing of Jesus Christ will take place in someone's life today. Because he is revealed through Scripture and Scripture alone. Well, we do know that God is out there. That's general revelation. We see the creation. We know we didn't create it. But we only know the name of Jesus Christ through the Bible and what it teaches us about him. So uh, Peter is saying, listen, this is what you need to do. And he goes on to say, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves. Let me, let me get a flow here. Let me just go back. Uh, rest upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, those things that were characteristic of our life prior to faith in Christ, as in your ignorance, that was our time before Christ. We, were, we didn't know that we needed Christ to have forgiveness of sins. We were ignorant. And every time we share the gospel, we are reducing the level of ignorance that's in the world. And by introducing people to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says, but as, as he who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So we, we, are, we are called to live a life of holiness because God is holy. The way John portrays it in 1 John is that God is light. All right, so, and, and we get that from this text. So uh, let me just say, I'm equating God is holy with God is light. And I'm, I'm going to explain myself in just a moment. In 1 John 1, 5, we've already read the text, but we see, first of all, there's, John's conveying to us. He's finished the prologue 1 through 4, and, and he's getting right into the sermon, right into the, in, into the book. Many people believe this was a sermon that was written down. It starts off with, this is the message. And, and you see I have the word that highlighted too. He's going to get to the, the meat of the message. But before he gets to the meat of the message, he introduces us to the, where he got the message from. This is important. Uh, this is the message which we have heard from him. This draws us back to last week where John says, it is me and the other apostles who, were, who witnessed uh, the life of Jesus Christ and, and we, we heard from his lips and, and he challenged us in, in all these ways. He said, listen, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and we declare it to you. This is the message. God is light. Well, what does that mean, John? Well, it, it is kind of tricky because it's a, it can be, you can be explained as a metaphor. It can be, it can, uh, it can be explained as a simile. It can be explained as uh, an analogy. It can be kind of explained a number of different ways as to what this means. Does this mean God is light? God is like light in the sense that where he shines, nothing is hidden? Well, yeah, that's probably in there. Is it mean God is light in, in another sense? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize another sense. I'm not saying that what I'm going to say today is the exhaustive explanation of what it means that God is light. But there are implications for you and for me in our Christian walk with this truth that God is light. God is light. And notice it goes on to clarify, in him is no darkness at all. In the Greek, it's actually emphasized. There is no darkness, none. Uh, John was very intent on getting the attention of his audience. He didn't ask him a question. He made a, a, a very uh, pointed statement. He said, there is absolutely not one tinge, iota, little bit of darkness in God. He is pure light. He is all light. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. So I am called to a life of holiness because God is holy. And so in that 
life that we're supposed to lead, being holy means I must not walk in sin. Sin is, is, is reality. I keep saying that, but I, I want... So many people th- think sin is more of a myth or a concept. You know, we have, we have good and we have evil, and, 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 uh, and as long as my good outweighs my evil, we're good. It's like, no. Sin is sin. Sin is an offense against God. Sin has the penalty of a death attached to it. Romans 6.23, right? I usually have to go through the whole gospel before I get to the Romans 6.23, right? Uh, but as, uh, for the wages of sin is death. There we go. I had to get there. I had to jump through the hoops. All right? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we are, being holy means that we must not walk in sin. He says it here, he says, if we say that, this is a conditional sentence. This structure of this whole passage is a number of conditional sentences. It's if, 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 if. Uh, Your translation may say, rather than if we say, it may say, if we claim. Uh, If we make a claim that we have fellowship, all right? And we're going to talk about this. But there's a set of three couplets, in a sense. So we have this one, if we say that. And then verse 7 is going to give, this is the negative. Then we're going to get the positive in verse 7. Verse 8 gives a negative. Verse 9 gives a positive. Verse uh, 10 gives a negative. And then chapter 2, 1, and 2 give the positive. So that's kind of the format we're going to go through. And he says, so he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him... All right, who's this fellowship? What is this fellowship we're talking about? Well, if you remember uh, last week, we looked at 1 John 1, 3, and it says that which we have seen, and that which we have seen and heard, talking about Jesus Christ, we declare to you, this is verse 3 of chapter 1, that you also may have fellowship with us. John is saying, listen, I have a desire for the recipients of this letter I desire to be in close fellowship, to have, be in agreement with one another, to have the same passion of life, to have, to have communion. All those ideas that we said koinonia is a, is a broad term. It's, it's a multifaceted term. It's the idea of fellowship. It's the idea of belonging and communion, of, of identifying with one another. He says, listen, he says, uh, uh, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And then he clarifies something. He says, and truly our fellowship that he's asking them to join is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So when John is saying, if we say that we have fellowship with him, he's certainly saying God, but he's also going to be talking about the fellowship that we have as believers, and we'll get there in a minute. But before we get there, he says, listen, we have fellowship with God, and if we say that we have this fellowship and we walk in darkness, what do we just discuss? That God is light and in him there is no darkness. He's saying if we say we have fellowship and we walk in darkness, we are liars. And so really what I'm saying here is those who claim to be right with God and continue in sin are liars. I want to clarify this statement, but I'm going to ask you again. Do you claim to be right with God? And are you walking in sin? It doesn't mean that you're, it doesn't mean you're the sinner saved by grace. This is really talking about the person that is a sinner and has never come to understand the gospel of grace. Now, John, as he's writing, he's addressing the wrong teaching. There's wrong teachers, false teachers. They're coming on the scene and they're, they're stirring up 
uh, problems within the church because they're confusing people. They have come to faith in, in, the, in Jesus Christ, the Son, who, who paid for their sins. And then they got these people coming alongside and say, yeah, but look at us. We know, we know, the, uh, we know the fellowship with God. And we're walking in darkness, I mean, in other sense, and we're still able to participate in the things that we, that we walked in when, before our ignorance was enlightened, right? That's what they're saying. They're saying somehow we are able to mix our old lifestyle with our new faith. And, and John says very clearly, that is a lie. You cannot claim that you have fellowship with God and continue in sin. And so we're just going to emphasize that word continue there because that's the word that you really need to understand. It's the habitual present reality of walking in sin. It is not the idea that I am a sinner saved by grace and I still sin. No, this is the, this is the idea that I am a sinner and I've never stopped being a sinner in the sense of I've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're continuing to walk in darkness Darkness, as it's portrayed throughout Scripture, is usually related to sin, iniquity, uh, evil, those type things. So this is one of the ways we understand what light means. God is light in him, and there is no darkness. No, none. And so those who claim to be right with God and continue in sin, they are liars. Beware of those people. And if you're here this morning, don't be that person. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This word practice, the reason I'm underlining it is it's the, because of the way it is in the Greek, it's talking about the continual nature of practicing. It's not, well, I practice it, you know, like I practice my golf swing every, once every two years maybe, right? I get out there and practice. No, No, this is the daily habitual practice every day, every moment of the day, practicing truth, but they're practicing, they're not practicing the truth. There's the negative there. He's saying, listen, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're liars and we're not practicing the truth. That means not a Christian, not a Christian. So if you claim to be a Christian, make sure this is not true of you. So this is, this kind of leads us into the rest of it uh, as, as we go forward, because I am called to be to live a life of holiness because God is holy, all right? And, 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 and as we consider that, I'm sorry, consider that text, we better be practicing the truth. So what is the truth? Well, well, we'll keep going. So I'm called to live a life of holiness because God is holy. And so being holy means not only that I must not sin, but it does mean that I can walk in holiness. You might be thinking, I don't know how to do this walking in holiness thing. I don't, I don't know if I've ever been able to do that. No, you are able to as a believer. This is true of believers. If you say I'm a Christian, you answer the question. If you say I'm a believer, you can walk in holiness. Don't believe the lie of the devil. Don't believe as he's coming in there and whispering in your ear saying, no, you can't do that holiness stuff. You're despicable. Look at all the sin you've committed in your life. Think about what you did just, just uh, a couple hours ago before coming to church. Think about what you did just a few seconds ago as you looked and thought and a sinful thought, right? I'm a sinner. When I was a youngster, before I came to Christ, I would sit in church and I would, I would just ignore whatever word of God was being read and I would be looking at all the pretty girls in the room. It was a huge church. There were plenty to look at. It kept me busy. 
in my sin. And then my sin was exposed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I came to faith, right? So the, the beauty of this is, is that we can walk in holiness. My practice had been for many years to fall, as a Christian, to fall into sin and say, woe is me, I guess I blew it. I'm no good anymore. And then what I would do is wallow in my sin. And then I learned through the maturing process of growing, no, confess your sin and God will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But listen, folks, listen, if you're caught up in sin, confess it. We'll get there in a moment. But listen, being holy means you can walk in holiness. He says, if we walk in the light, and I'm equating light with holiness, all those positive, glorifying aspects of who God is, right? Uh, We can walk in the light as He is in the light. It's because of who He is that we're able to do this. So walking in God's holiness means fellowship is a reality. All right, that fellowship is, is, uh, is true. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light he is, as he is in the light, we have. It's a possession. It is a reality at this very moment. We have fellowship with one another. If you uh, answer the question, yes, I'm a Christian, and we got together into a room, uh, maybe it's like a room like this, and a bunch of other people said, oh, yes, I'm also a Christian. Do you realize we have fellowship? We have something in common. And that's what we're teaching in the community class. Actually, it's in the beginning class and the community class. We are gospel-centered. We are gospel-motivated in our church. And what that means is what brings us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the reality that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, many of us would never know each other's face or name. Because we would have different... we, We would travel in different circles and different associations. But what brings us here today is the gospel. And and so we have fellowship in the gospel. And if we're walking in the light, as he is in the light. When we have fellowship, we have this fellowship, notice, with, uh, well, I'm sorry, with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, uh, cleanses us from all sin. We have this true. So fellowship is a reality with God and fellow Christians. That's going back to verse 3, which I've already stated, right? That fellowship that that John desired for his readers to have with him, he's saying, listen, it's not just with me and the other apostles. It's with God because it's and his son, Jesus Christ. So my sins, walking in God's holiness means that my sins are forgiven. Not only do I have fellowship with you and all the other ones who've said they're Christians, but every one of us has our sins forgiven. It's a done deal. That's what he says, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're heading towards the Lord's Supper, where we recognize through, hopefully you grabbed it. If you didn't, uh, uh, the guys back there will get you some. But here we have a bread representing his body and the juice representing his blood. And it says here that the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, cleanses us, all, uh, cleanses us from all sin. And that's, the, that's another obstacle that we have is that, well, yeah, but he, God didn't know I was going to do that sin, and certainly that sin's unforgivable. No, all sin is forgivable. The only sin that's not forgivable is the one of, of, uh, of uh, defaming the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit, right? The one attributing uh, evil to the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, it's the idea of being in that permanent, rejecting the Holy Spirit. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. Don't reject Christ. Come to faith. Because the blood of Jesus Christ paid for every sin of all time. All sin. 
Only Jesus could do that. So as a Christian, I'm called to holiness, but I'm also called, called to a life of confession. And where am I getting this from, right? So if we look at the text, all right, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, all right? So it's another conditional clause if it's a possibility that, that someone might say we have no sin. What John is doing is communicating to his readers more than likely the words of the false teachers. They are saying things like this. And he's saying, listen, if we say what they're saying, that we have no sin, he's saying, listen, we deceive ourselves. If, if you say you have fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness, a habitual, continual walking in darkness, you're a liar. You can't have light and dark together. Can't, can't work. If we say that we have no sin, we de- we're, we're self-deceived. Those who claim to be continually without sin are self-deceived. And I think that um, is not necessarily a popular thing in our world today. I don't think it's a popular thing in this room. People struggle with this idea of sin, but they pretty much ignore it. They don't necessarily say they are not. Uh, Most people, most people, not all people, will identify that, well, yeah, yeah, I've got some sin in my life. I, I violated God's standard here and there, if they're willing to even admit there's a God. But there are some people out there that believe in what is called sinless perfection after coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want to say this text is not teaching sinless perfection. All right? Uh, Go on to the text. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, This truth is the truth of the gospel, right? The truth of what Jesus, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. So if we say that we have no sin, we are deceived. And we are called to... um, uh, recognize that confessing my sins means forgiveness is a reality. Uh, it, he's saying, listen, I got to go back. I'm sorry, I keep going back and forth. But I'm, if we say this is the possibility, this is the negative part of verse 8 and 9, taking them together, we are deceived if we say we have no sin. But John freely admits that forgiveness is a reality because people sin. In verse 9, it says, if we confess, there's the word, if we confess our sins, We are called to a life of holiness. We are called to a life of confession because we are sinners. John's establishing that right now. It's not a life of sinless perfection. It's it's a life of experiencing the fullness of God's grace, but yet still living, uh, excuse me, still sinning in this world because we have not fully experienced uh, the the ultimate forgiveness and, 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 and destruction of sin when Jesus returns. He says, if we confess our sins, notice this, talking he, talking about God, God is faithful. Are you glad that God is faithful? What is he faithful about? God keeps his promises. He is faithful and he is just. He is justified to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He is just in both the forgiving and the cleansing. He is faithful to the promise that he promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. A Messiah is going to come. There's going to be victory over sin and the devil. He's faithful to fulfill his promise. And so he's faithful and he's just. He is the righteous one, right? We'll, we'll see that a little bit more here in a minute. But it's because and, and, he forgives us. This is... This is what I needed to hear. This is what people, sinners need to hear, that God will forgive them. And not only will he forgive them now, he will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. 
He cleanses us. This is the idea of not only are our sins forgiven, but the guilt that remains from the sins, God washes away. You don't have to wallow in the sins of your past. Why? They've been paid for. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our transgressions from us, we don't have to go back and and wallow in self-pity and all the sin that we have committed. I'm fairly positive I'm not alone that as we engage in this text, I remember some of my sins. And there are times in my life where I have gone back and I've wallowed. I'm like, man, I was so, that was so wrong. And I was, listen, it's under the blood of Christ. The, its significance has no more significance. Our sin was an affront to God, but Jesus forgave that sin when we came to faith in him. And he says he will forgive us. Our, our sins are forgiven, all of them. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He even removes that guilt stain that, that's there. We don't have to be living that way anymore. So as a Christian, I'm called to a life of repentance. And you see how the progression goes. We live in holiness. We're supposed to walk a life of holiness. And that includes confession. But confession without repentance is meaningless. So John goes on and says, if we say, here is that third time we say it, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I want to just emphasize, verse 8 says, if we say that we have not sinned, uh, that we have no sin. Let me, let me double check to make sure I'm reading it correctly. If we say that we have no sin, that, and I don't think I emphasized it there, so let me emphasize it here. That's the, the perspective that people are coming to saying, it's not saying that they've never sinned. These false teachers are saying, yeah, after I came to faith, notice the air quotes, right? After I came to faith in Christ, I have not sinned since then. That's the idea of sinless perfection. He's going on here. He's building upon that. And he's saying that they're they're saying that, listen, once I came to faith in Christ, as they understand faith, that they haven't sinned anymore. He says, no, you're self-deceived. Here he says, if we say that we have not sinned, he's making pretty much the same statement. He's saying it gets worse than just being self-deceived. You are making God a liar. If you say you have fellowship with the Father, but you still live in, in, in darkness, you're a liar. If you say that, that uh, you, have, you don't have any sin, you're self-deceived. And then he goes, to the, he goes to the ultimate extreme. Really, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, you're saying that if you have not sinned, we make God a liar. It contradicts that God is light, and in him is no darkness. There's no sin. There's no iniquity. You can't have both in God. We make him a liar and his word is not with us. This is a a quote from one of the commentaries I read. It's helpful. It is worth noting that to claim to have fellowship with God while walking in darkness makes a person a liar, verse 6. To claim to be without sin involves lying to oneself and makes God out to be a liar as well. So that's, I just got to give credit to where his credit is due. Uh, You know, that's a thought that I just, I mean, I just resonated with me. We looked at Genesis 3 where sin came into the world, where death came by sin. But that sin, that deception, was, it was anchored in a lie of Satan. And, and as we look at this, first, this text in this first chapter in 1 John, we see that Satan is still busy at work causing people to come to the conclusion that God is a liar. And it says that his word is not in us. Now that means that the truth of his word 
What is essential for faith? What is, a, what is essential for, for eternal life is not in us. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So, so John admits freely right here that there is sin. And he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. These things I write to you, everything he's talked about and really what he's going to be talking about after this. He says that you may not sin. My prayer for me is that I would not sin. My prayer for you is that you would not sin. Let's pray for one another in this regard because, listen, he's saying, listen, I've, I've talked about this. I've written this for your benefit that you, might, that you may not sin because sin is a reality. And if anyone sins, this is the great news of the gospel, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It doesn't get any clearer or any more passionate than this. We have an advocate, someone who is on our side, someone that is, is, is very clearly uh, uh, speaking to God on our behalf. This advocate is to the Father, right? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the Son of God who came in the flesh. He's righteous. He's always been righteous. He always will be righteous. And, and so we have this advocate. What more could you ask for? Well, let's think about this. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, right? So we're going to talk about this propitiation idea. This is the idea of Jesus Christ paid your sin debt and my sin debt and the sin debt of my kids. And if they have kids and they come to faith in Christ, it'll it'll forgive them because it's all anchored in faith. Are you a Christian today? Do you have that faith? That leads to life? Well, this is part of that. The only reason that's possible is that Jesus Christ became sin for us. He paid on that cross. He paid the wages of sin. And he died. He redeemed us. He satisfied God's standard of righteousness. Does Jesus as our advocate come before a reluctant father? This is, this is one of the thoughts that I had. And it's building off of this, all right? It's building off of verse 1, actually where it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm so glad I have Jesus Christ that's going to come to the Father and plead my case before the Father. But have you ever asked yourself, what's the disposition of the Father? Is he reluctant? That's that's where this question is coming from. Is, Is he a reluctant Father? Is he like, ah, I saw that sin. Ah, 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 ah. Jesus says, hey, hey, Father, Father, hey, listen. Hey, listen, because of what I did on their behalf. Oh, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I have to forgive them. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's not, that's not it. Let's not have a false view of who God the Father is. Because as we consider 1 John 4.10, which we're going to get there in weeks or months. Who knows how long it will take us to get there, all right? Look at this. In this is love, and some people define the, the God as light, as God is love. He'll make the statement that God is love later, but they equate the two because it's the essence and the character of God. But he says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Right? Uh, this is amazing truth. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for also the whole world. Oh, I, I skipped, sorry, sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to go off of this slide, all right? So as we talk about, is God a reluctant father? 
It was God's plan to send the Son. Right? Jesus, as the advocate for our sins, for the Father, our advocate on behalf of saying, listen, Father, forgive them. It's part of God's plan. So Jesus is our advocate, but God is there ready to receive the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all sins of all time because God's the one who sent his son. That's what it says there. God sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Let's not have a false view of who God the Father is. All right, so John finishes here. He says, not for our sins only, but for the, uh, the sins of the whole world. This is the good news of the gospel that we are supposed to be proclaiming to those who do not have forgiveness of sins. So, as a Christian, I'm called to be holy. I'm called to live a life of holiness. I'm called to live a life of confession. And that, that presupposes that I'm going to live a life of, of, of uh, repentance. I'm going to turn from my sin that I've just confessed. But here is the fourth one that leads us right into the Lord's Supper. As a Christian, I am called to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's not an option. This is what we do as Christians. And we're supposed to do it in community, in fellowship, because of the unity of the gospel that we have in Christ, because of the fact that we are all sinners saved by grace. And if you're not a sinner saved by grace, if you're still a sinner and you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, this isn't for you. We desire it for you, and we would ask you, please, confess your sin before a holy and righteous God who's willing to forgive. And then join us as a child of God in the family of God as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before we go to the Lord's Supper, it is, it is customary for us to, to um, consider 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32 which talks about Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, woman, or child examine himself, herself, and so let, uh, and so let him or her <laughs> eat the bread. I'm trying to make sure you understand. This is for you. It's not just for guys, right? This is for men and women and children. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The desire of God's heart is that we fellowship together in the eating and drinking that is representative of the body and blood of Christ. So if you have yours today, please please have this. It's, it's a fancy little doohickey here we have, right? It's a little plastic thing. And be careful when you open the juice, right, uh, that you don't spill it. Uh, but we do have the bread that represents Christ's body. And we have the juice that represents Christ's blood. And so as we consider this, this text he goes on to say that we should examine ourselves so that we can eat. So this examination, he says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. There's this idea of, of eating this, proclaiming to be a Christian but not, or proclaiming to be in right fellowship with God. We, are, we have a relationship with God. That's that we become a child. But the fellowship, maybe you're you're in habitual sin as we speak. Maybe there's just something that's patterned your life and you are just stuck and you just are having a hard time getting out of it. And, and that sin is alive and well and you're walking in, in that kind of darkness. It's, it's not that you're an unbeliever, but you're, you're, you're kind of acting like one. And, and maybe it's here this morning before we take the Lord's Supper that you confess and you repent of your sin because God will forgive you. And then eat because it's, it's God's desire that we eat together. So he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In the context of 1 Corinthians, that's talking about not discerning our community. 
Not recognizing that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. Not discerning the fact that we cannot hate our brother and say that we are in walking in the light. So I would say if there is lack of fellowship here today, if, there, if you have hard feelings or you think someone has sinned against you and it hasn't been worked out yet, I'm, I'm encouraging you, please confess that and repent of it if you're the one that has offended, uh, been, done the offense. If you're the one who's received the offense, then please commit to, if you know a, a, someone has an offense against you or has feelings, go to that person. We are called to go to one another for the sake of the body, the health of the body. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, if we, do, if we would take care of our business now, we won't experience the judgment of God. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may be, uh, not be condemned with the world. Because this is talking about believers, sinners saved by grace. There is no condemnation for us. So that's all uh, a preliminary, and this is what we'll do. We'll pause for a moment. I'll, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Just pray along with me and examine yourself as I examine myself. Father, I pray as we, as we come to you in prayer, I pray. Foremost, Father, that you would expose the sin in my life. That you would call me to account for the ways that I have fallen short of your desire for me. Lord, forgive me for not esteeming others better than myself. Forgive me for being selfish with my spouse or my children. Forgive me for being uh, uncaring in, in the affairs of others and their needs. Father, forgive me for whatever those sins that I might even think about now and those that I don't even know. Father, I pray that, that uh, you would open the door to, to right fellowship with other believers. And Lord, if there's any lack of fellowship that exists, on, Lord, as much as is in me, Lord, convict me of it and help me to repent and commit to seek to make that relationship right. Father, I pray that you would work in every heart here this morning that calls themselves a Christian. That we would do in like manner, that we would come to you recognizing that we have not arrived in the sense of sinless perfection. We are, we are supposed to be maturing in our faith and recognizing sin and trusting you to, to forgive our sin is part of that maturing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would bless this church body with health in relationships, that we would truly be able to come together centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, we see, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That doesn't happen very often. I almost had a mess on my hands. He goes on to write, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what we just did, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. We are expectant believers. We believe that our that God sent his son into the world, fully God and fully man in the incarnation. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, not his own, but for yours and mine. He died. He was buried in three days, demonstrating he was dead. He rose from the dead, demonstrating his victory over death and sin, ascended into heaven 40 days later, and is coming again. That is our faith in a nutshell. We began a service with a focus on the gospel. We're finishing the service with a focus on the gospel. We considered Isaiah 53. We're not going to go through it again. We considered the Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. It's longer than just the verses I read. But remember what Jesus Christ went through so that we could have our sins forgiven. It was ugly. It was brutal. And we should live our life in holiness as a response. We should live our life confessing our sins in response. We should live our life repenting in response. Because that's what we're called to do. A Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, it's called to live a life of holiness, confession, and repentance. Father, may you be blessed as we consider these words on the screen and how they apply to each of our lives. May you be glorified as people respond in faith. In Jesus' name we